0: Episode 139 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the Emmy Award-winning American actress Lindsay Wagner, who became world-famous as Jamie Summers in the 1970s hit TV series The Bionic Woman. That's just one of Lindsay's countless credits on the big and small screen, and as you will hear, acting is just one of many aspects of her professional life. This interview with Lindsay took place in 2007 when the bionic woman was about to be revived with the English actress Michelle Ryan in the title role. So I started by asking Lindsay how she felt about the show that made her an international star being brought back.
1: How do I feel about it? I don't know that I can really answer that until I have a chance to see what they do with it. And unfortunately, we're doing this prior to that (laughs) so i don't know how to answer the question because for me it's about what you do with your work you know what are you doing with it doing the bionic woman was for me i wanted to work with kids at that time in my life when that came about i had just started acting a couple of years before that professionally but i was also working with kids and teaching kids acting as kind of a therapy so when the bionic woman came along for me it was about having an opportunity to put those two passions together and it was always about how these stories were being done Mm -hmm. i wasn't particularly into science fiction as a young woman i was into serious drama (laughs) at that time I'm thinking that, you know, it had to be serious drama in order to communicate the types of things that was of interest to me, which has always been human potential, and that certainly supersedes the physical.
0: Have you been involved in the remake to any extent, or have you even Not been asked all.
1: to? Not at all.
0: Would you like to have been asked to? Mm,
1: there was really no place in the script that they wrote. Hmm. if that's what you're asking, or you just mean in the reconceptualizing of it?
0: No, just, uh, you know, if you were asked to play a cameo or maybe Jamie's mom or something, I don't know.
1: Yeah, again, it keeps going back to to my whole interest in being in the communications media. If you followed my career at all, you'll see that most of the films that I've done have had some type of issue oriented slant and that was also true with the bionic woman regardless of the fact that the genre was science fiction slash reality because we spent a great deal of time and energy trying to figure out we meaning the whole writing staff and, and the producers to when I agreed to do the show it was with the agreement that we would be able to collaborate on the stories because my intent was to to turn that show into something that was beyond the standard good guy, bad guy, black and white, Genre. good guy always wins and somehow always seems to be stronger <laughs> formula. And up until that point, anything that was even smelled of action, and pretty much still today, that's what people do with it. They don't seem to think beyond into the, the, the whole of what a human being is and the capacities we have to resolve issues that, that come up in our lives without punching somebody out. It was that effort which made the bionic woman distinct from, say, the $6 million man. Sure. It was that effort to find ways to utilize the bionics beyond violence and to actually use the whole human being, which she still was. She wasn't a robot. She was a human being with a heart and a mind and a spirit and could think her way out of things. And therefore, what else are we going to do with these bionics? that's part of the formula. So that's where a lot of the humor came in. And because it was for kids, my goal was to not say that just to be stronger is what you should strive for.
0: But bearing in mind how much you put into it, as you've just made clear, how protective have you felt over the series being remade, and particularly your lead character, Jamie Summers?
1: Well, I don't have anything to say about it. (laughs) I don't own it. So (laughs) I don't, you know, waste a lot of energy on it. I I certainly had my, my hopes that the people who are recreating it had a sensibility that would carry on that tradition with it that was my deepest hope for it and that they would take it on beyond the obvious of an opportunity to do exciting violence which to me is one of the stranger addictions our culture has today
0: yeah i gather a remake was first considered in 2002 with jennifer aniston taking your role how did you react then
1: i wasn't even aware of it okay I mean, you know, I've, I've heard things, a million things over the years. They've tried to do movies, they've had uh, several feature scripts, you know, and it's just kind of like it just always never happens, so I, um, you know, I hear something float through, but I just don't get involved with. It. I think Richard Anderson is far more involved with the show franchise, or whatever you want to call it, than I have been. I've, you know, I've gone on to do many, many other things, and... It's not that I don't care, because I certainly do, and I would love to see it that. I don't get the sense that it was made uh, with children in mind, and if it was, I would hope that they would curb it a bit from just the snippets that I've seen. To me, it certainly looks like an adult show. It doesn't look like it's going to be a show for kids. And we were very definitely orienting the original Bionic Woman to kids and hoping to pass on values. You know, we, we dealt with stories of, of racial you know discrimination we dealt with uh, mind body spirit connections mind over matter you know we made an effort to to write stories where even the so-called bad guy was seen as a human being with their agenda and that they weren't necessarily right or wrong these types of values were spread throughout the whole series from as many times as they could and still work and write the, the types of stories, <laughs> write stories under the gun like they have to do yeah. when they're doing a series. It's so easy to write a formula story and just give it a different uh, set of circumstances, but basically if you look at it, it's the same darn story week after week.
0: What do you think about the fact that there's a British actress playing uh, the starring role now?
1: Well, I saw uh, a little clip on, uh, I guess it's NBC.com or something, and I think she does an amazing job with her accent, and she's got a nice quality about her again it's just a snippet i haven't seen the show so i mean it doesn't matter
0: would you like to meet her meet michelle ryan
1: you know i i I hear where all your questions are coming from but i i don't quite know how to answer some of them because i certainly don't not want to meet her but mm, would i like to meet her i never thought about it to be honest with you i think it would be fun to perhaps talk with her and share with her
0: what advice would you give her
1: I would want to encourage her to take very seriously the fact that the choices of resolving the week-to-week problem that comes her way as Jamie Summers, the choices that are made by Jamie Summers on how that's resolved is going to heavily influence the public, and it's going to heavily influence any children that do watch it, and it's going to formulate their thought processes therein creating a future culture in the world. We oftentimes like to shut our minds and ears off to the fact that television and movies, but especially television, has such a profound impact on the future in the so-called real world because you're formulating minds It's a very powerful tool. And if this series goes, as she grows in her personal journey, I hope she would encourage that coming through.
0: Even just those little snippets, what's it like watching a new version of a show which you played such a vital part in?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. What I saw was that it seems as though they have restyled the show to fit into what's popular today, which is that kind of extreme violence, you know, hand-to-hand combat, and with that dark kind of, well, I guess you'd say high contrast visual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. style, which is, you know, which is kind of what's what's selling today. It was interesting to see that. It was, it, it's just so different. It's very different. The intent is different. I read a little interview of the producer and he's willing to try and make it very different, trying to make it their own.
0: So many shows from the old days have been remade in recent years, yet few have bettered the originals. Do you think maybe the Bionic Woman should have been left as it was?
1: I would like to have seen it be remade into the next step again of human potential because that's what interests me. That's what I liked about the genre of the bionic woman to begin with, because it wasn't about someone from another planet. It was a human being in life circumstance that had something extraordinary thrown into her. To me, that was a metaphor for our higher potential. And also, given that it was uh, a real person in a science fiction setting, broke the barrier of what you can and cannot do or say in a so-called reality-based show. So therefore we could do stories about mind over matter which I researched and was was doing when I was studying meditation back then and learned about the Tibetans that could, you know, pierce themselves and not bleed and all the mind over matter things that was is our human potential. And we could do stories about that in the 70s where it was, would not have ever been accepted on Marcus Welby, you know, or any reality-based, so-called reality-based shows. But to me, that was real. That was as real as an operation, you know, on somebody's wound. But it was not generally accepted in those days, that type of understanding of what we are as human beings. So given that the bionic woman was reality slash fiction, we could do stories like that and people would suspend their uh, disbelief yes and watch it and absorb it and some part i believe that when we see something that is true whether our belief system will allow us to experience the truth of that or not if it is true and if it is part of our potential it's no different than somebody saying you can do this or you don't have to stay poor your whole life or you don't have to, you know you, of course you can get a job if you, if you are in a wheelchair or any of those types of things to take it even beyond that to yeah. our extraordinary potential, uh, which, which transcends the physical. As we get stuck in the physical, and that's why we end up writing stories and thinking the only way to resolve something is to punch the other guy out and to overcome them on a physical level. Our true human potential is those other aspects of us, yeah. which is where our power comes from.
0: Lindsay... How important has the Bionic Woman been to your life and career?
1: Well, it certainly launched me into probably the highest visibility that anybody could have, you know, at that time. It was profoundly important to my life and my career because I can't, you, one can't really separate those things. Mm. You know, your, life is, your career is part of your life. And it was so huge all over the world that it opened up and certainly the ratings were always so high that it allowed me to go do a whole other thing in television in my desire to do communication with people through the television movies my cue was so high that yeah. I was allowed to do movies that people never could get on television before they couldn't get on movies about domestic violence, about child abuse, about mm. revisionist history. About They just wouldn't do that. They were afraid because of the, you know, we don't want to piss the audience off in any way, shape, or form because we have to keep our the companies that are doing the, the advertising. And so we don't want to take any chances, and that was always the climate in television. But I, my cue was so high that they were willing to take a chance on some stories that they were never willing to take a chance on simply because my cue was so high. And when they found out that it worked and people actually liked that, you know, they got to see what I've always believed in, and that is, once again, the audience that are people when they want more than they're given in the yeah. general sense. They, they dared to step out there with me. And we did movies about things that had never been done on television before in yeah. that time period. So the Bionic Woman and the popularity of that gave me as a person, as a human being, the opportunity to use my career to share things that I wanted to share as a as a person to another person, which was the audience. To me that that was us sitting in a room together and sharing yeah. our our life journey through story.
0: How often are you recognized from the Bionic Woman these days and reminded of it?
1: <laughs> pretty much daily. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what what's the most bizarre situation? Have you like gone to Australia or something and been spotted in a shop or something, I don't know.
1: Oh no, that was pretty common. And yeah. there was no place that I could no place zero mm. Zippo and I thought even when I went down to Palenque, Mexico I was making a film down there in 1980 I think it was it was when we were making the movie High Risk that's where I thought it would be you know in, in the cities where forget it you know they were any city anywhere in the world but when I went down to Palenque, Mexico where they had thatched roofs and people still brought their, their harvest on their shoulders to the market or on their donkey i thought oh, i'm gonna be able to work here and film here kind of in peace and i got out of the car when we were walking over to this little hotel that we were staying in on this location and this little boy turned around and looked at me and said la mujer bionica and it was like come on you've <laughs> got to be kidding me this is impossible hmm? so I, I i was just dumbfounded and then i found out that they had two televisions in that little town at that time Gosh. And one was like in the mayor's house or something, and the other was in one the lobby of one of these uh, one of the very, one of the small hotels they had there. But from all of all around, we're allowed to come in and watch the one of three shows that, that aired on their little television. And that and that was, one of them was the Bionic Woman. They had like three shows or something that said well a week.
0: The Bionic Woman recently won you a fan favorite award in America. How weird was that after all this time?
1: Well, if you'd lived my life. From that time till now, it wouldn't seem weird to you. Okay. (laughs) Because people, it just was such a deep part of their existence. Generations now that are in their, you know, well, maybe not 20s so much as 30s and and late 20s. And they grew up on it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I did too. I think that, and that part of it, I think it was certainly, of course, the bionics were all exciting and stuff. But when you look back and see that the, the, the flavor of it was so different, and I think that's, why it was so potent also was that we were doing hu- human beings we got yeah. deeper into the soul with people
0: as an actress has it been an advantage or a disadvantage to be associated with such a an iconic role
1: mm, it hasn't been a problem for me at all i know sometimes people say that about their series it made them popular but for me it, it was a big part of me in my life and my learning and and it was a big part of other people's lives, and, and there was no problem moving on from that. You know, I've done, I don't know, seven features and about the same number of miniseries and 35 television movies. I mean, it, I, I've not experienced it harming me in any way. It, only, it was only a blessing, it has remained such.
0: How much acting are you doing these days, and what can we next see you in?
1: Yeah, I'm not doing much acting these days. I Well, I haven't been. I pulled back from the business a little bit about seven years ago and uh, I've done a couple of things in that time period but I've been doing other things this stage of my life I've been working with people I've been uh, working in the jails doing counseling and I work with domestic I had started an organization called Peacemakers Community or initially we started working with families who struggle with domestic violence and it's the whole family. We're working with the batterers and, and the people that have been battered, their partners as well, uh, which is, to me, critical in order to solve this, this human predicament that we have. It's just universal. I've done a lot of work on that. You know, over the years, my whole life has been more or less devoted to whatever I'm working on. It's all for me about human potential. And whether it be inside myself or inside my family, that we have the ability to rise above what we call this, you know... Adversity. This adversities, yes. And and we have, I believe, the potential to live above them to a certain degree. And that, a lot of people don't share that with me. They think if you're in this world, it, it has to be like that, you know. In any case, I have been counseling, doing spiritual counseling and doing energy work uh, on vari- of various types, which I've studied all my life, all my career, and pretty much I've shifted over to doing that. Not that I don't act or that I quit acting, I haven't, but that's what I've spent my time doing, and now I'm doing public programs that are based on the work that I've been doing more like off the radar and in, and in the jails and prisons with groups and in the support groups quiet that we've been doing quietly. I'm doing public programs, which has to do with bringing more inner peace.
0: What initially started off that work as as a humanitarian, as an advocate?
1: It's been an evolution. I've always had a strong propensity for that. From the time I was a kid, what I really wanted to do was be a psychologist. But I was very dyslexic as a kid, extremely high IQ, but dyslexic, as you often find comes with dyslexia. And when I was a kid, there was like no help and no understanding about that. When I tried to go to college... I wasn't able to make it through. And so acting, which is also something that I loved, I just continued to study on my own about the mind and about <coughs> healing modalities and about body-mind-spirit connection. And the acting thing just kind of came to me very easily also. And, you know, they're, they're also very connected because what you're working with is your, is your mind mm. when you act. So it isn't such a far-fetched connection between yeah. those two vocations. But, totally. but I never stopped doing that and, and, and learning about it myself and going through my own healing work and having a very strong spiritual life. Yeah. Uh, my whole life is what kept me, in my mind, much more grounded even through the, uh, all the challenges of becoming so famous and losing your anonymity. Those are all very strange things to undergo. People think, oh, I would love that. You have no idea Mm. until you lose your anonymity, for sure. You know, the kinds of challenges it puts you in.
0: Initially, though, did you struggle to get taken seriously in these other areas because you're best known as a TV actress?
1: Uh, No, I didn't because I didn't struggle to do it at all. You know, it was only by word of mouth that I worked with people over the years and I didn't go out to try and find anything. It just happened that I would help someone, and they'd say, could you help me again, and da-da-da-da, and it started evolving all on its own. And I've always used my visibility to help, specifically Mm. things around the family, because I grew up with the domestic violence, you know, in our family. And so I understand it. And to me, what we see in the world is wars and... Separation, and I'm right and you're wrong and there's no room f- for two people to be right and understand that we each have our own perspective. You know, all of those things that we see demonstrated out in our culture and in our world today, it, it all kind of, those, those things formulate inside the family.
0: Lindsay, and, how do you compare the satisfaction of success as an actress to that of a humanitarian advocate or author?
1: Well... To me, it's all the same. To me, um, having a successful show that expresses views and takes people by way of watching a show through a journey where you hopefully end up in a different place by the end of that, not just tantalized or stimulated or turned on or whatever. You know, you can use movies and, and television to do that for people as well. But to me, it was about bringing you to a... Hopefully, going through this story, you experience some sort of transcension from having experienced that film. And that's what my film career has been about for me. So that was just one way of doing my work, and I had the grace of being able to do that with millions of people in the movies that I made and the ones that that I actually was able to get made that were really meaningful and had that quality to them. I always sought them out or I you know, co wrote them or or whatever, you know, that that's what my journey was in the film business. And at a certain point various factors a few years back just kinda I don't know, you know, life all those things around us just kind of change and I, I was doing more and more of it. People were recommending other people to me and so and then I, I've been working with this child abuse agency for twenty years. It's called ICANN, Interagency Council of Child Abuse and Neglect. And a friend of mine that I met through there had started a program in the L.A. County Jail called Bridges to Recovery for domestic violence offenders. And so it's a six-week program that they go through. So she said, because I was once again complaining, that we're always trying to shelter the victims and never helping the perpetrators. And we are not going to solve this issue by continuing to just do that. And as long as we see some a, a batterer as someone who is not helpable, who is completely beyond, you know, and that's just the way he is and he always will be or she, whoever it is, and that that they're bad and the victim is good, Hmm. this is going to go on forever because we aren't seeing the whole situation nor are we embracing the whole situation. Everyone in that circumstance has to be embraced and given an opportunity to heal and grow.
0: Do you revel in the variety of careers that you have or does acting remain your first love?
1: Actually, it was my second love, <laughs> As, uh, if you think of the chronology of it. You know, yeah, because you initially uh,
0: wanted to be a dancer, did uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But yes, of course, I, I, I do. I'm very uh, blessed, actually, to have the variety that I've had in my life. That is a hmm. good statement. It is a good statement.
0: What well, can you amazing. tell us of your of your parents and siblings and their professions?
1: Well, my mother, at this point, is retired. And she also, uh, interestingly, now that I look back on it, had a variety of careers. She was uh, basically secretary work up until she, you know, at one point she stopped working and had my sister my, who was uh, 14 years younger than me. And then Mom became a an independent building contractor in Oregon oh. for several years <laughs> out of the blue. And my father was kind of like in the engineering department at, at Packard Bell and things for a while and then he became a, a school photographer. So he switched. It's funny now <laughs> both of my parents and of switched it at, at a later age into a different career
0: how much influence do you think being born in la had on you going into show business and do you draw any significance from the fact that you were born on the same day as meryl streep
1: <laughs> i think that's a question for god <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> or or some good astrologer i think yeah. to give you a good a good answer to that one it, it is rather cute Um it, that it was the same year the same day and all the years that I was so popular and she was so popular, she dominated the feature world and I dominated the television world. So it was also simultaneous in the industry, in the communications industry. It was very interesting. Have you met her? No. Right. Isn't that funny? Of all the people that I've met in the, in the industry, she's the one so I haven't met.
0: What well, what did happen to your early plans to be a dancer then? A dancer? Yeah.
1: Mm, I didn't have any early plans to be a dancer.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you said that that was your first love.
1: No, 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 no. I wanted to be a doctor, a psych- psychologist, c- but not being able to read when I was dyslexic. Uh, when you were saying dancer, I, I heard the word doctor <laughs> when you said oh, that. Oh, I beg your
0: because...
1: Yeah, no, it's not dancer. It was, it was, I wanted to be a psychologist. Uh, the reason I learned to act or anything, I wasn't a television buff. I wasn't even a, a really a movie boss as a kid. I got into acting when I was 12 because I was babysitting for...
0: Glenn Campbell, wasn't
1: it? Mm, them too, yes, but, but before Glenn, I was babysitting for, um, or well, simultaneous, I guess, I was babysitting for James Best and his wife at the time, his name yes. was Joby, and she was a ballerina, and he had an acting class, which was, he was coaching working actors, because they still had the studio system in those days, where they would go and look at, at showcases put on by professional actors, and they would hunt people out in those days, Joby and Jimmy, kind of took me under their wing and realized that our family was rather tumultuous in those days. And they saw that I really didn't have much of an outlet. Mm -hmm. The kids should have outlets. And so she invited me to come into her ballet class. And so I did. And again, not understanding dyslexia or certain things that can be in the mind, it was hard for me to sequence and so I could do all the positions and do all of that, but putting the dance together to, to remember the sequence of things you're su- one's supposed to do. So anyway, she moved me through that to ballet. It wasn't working. <laughs> hmm. And then she moved me to um, modern jazz and modern interpretive dancing. And it's still, again, not, I understood it years later when, when finally people started learning about dyslexia and different hmm. forms of learning differences. And there could have been a way perhaps to, to learn to do that and to get around that. Cross wiring in my brain, but we didn't know that in those days. So at that point, I think in their evening coffee talks as husband and wife, this kid that they were kind of emotionally mentoring, if you will, um, that babysat for them, they, he, he invited me. She said, "I think you better kick her into your acting class. We're making huh. her feel worse about herself instead of better, because I was kind of I was locked up emotionally, very locked up, but I was very demonstrative and, and open and funny, and the more I would hurt as a kid." I was holding it all in, and so the funnier I would get. And But he was an actor, and she was a ballerina, and being artists, they saw right through me. And so he, that, that's what they were doing, kind of trying to help this kid kind of come out and be a little more open and accessible on an emotional level. So he, went, he brought me into the acting class. Yeah. That's what started my interest in acting.
0: Is it true you once sang in a rock band? Yeah. Tell us about it. Did you make any records?
1: It was very short-lived. And it was Mike Campbell and Company. That was the band. He's still around. Somebody mentioned that they had run into him a couple of years ago. I don't mm. know even who it was, but he's around. I was with him a very short period of time. Mm. I sang with a, in a rock band in, in school, in high school also. And then went on tour with Mike for a short while. And, and then the acting thing started right away. So it wasn't very long.
0: I thought so, you first made a name for yourself as a model. Isn't that right? And did yeah. you ever do any pictures that you later regretted? I imagine you would have got offers to do the likes of Playboy during your career. Oh, yeah. How did, that. how did you respond to those?
1: Yeah, that was a thank you anyway, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> there must have been some tempting offers on the table, I imagine.
1: Well, the most tempting was Hustler, but that was after all I was already the bionic woman. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't really tempting. It was just uh, shockingly uh, a lot of money. But that was a thank you anyway also.
0: You didn't hesitate? Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. And to what extent do you reckon your looks helped you to break into TV acting?
1: Well, I'm sure they didn't hurt. But it, it was, you know, I'm sure more than my looks, because something was there, something, whether it be karma or whatever. Because I started acting in the middle of an actor's strike in 1971, and nobody was working, and they were hiring this one little... Marcus Welby had gotten an exemption from the union and was going to finish an episode and they needed a private nurse and i mean that was it bam it was like right in the middle of this actor strike the only show that was shooting and there i was hired on that day and i didn't stop acting and they shot for a couple of days later monique james called me and said i saw your dailies will you come in and talk to me and she was the head of the contract players at the time so i went in and talked to her and didn't even have an agent so you know uh, <laughs> something uh, uh, on a universal level pardon the pun yeah. going on
0: when you made your now historic guest appearance on The Six Million Dollar Man in 1974, did you have a funny feeling that might lead to something special?
1: Uh, no, I didn't actually. But I did do that as a gift for my sister. I was initially going to turn it down, and I was talking to my mom on the phone, and I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen The Six Million Dollar Man at the time. I didn't even know what it was, and Universal universe would sent me. And I was just at the end of my contract. I was just getting ready to get out of the contract thing, and and they asked me to do this one more show, and it was like, oh. And then I looked at it, and I was talking to my mom on the phone one day, and I said, you wouldn't believe this script they sent me. This woman jumping off of buildings and, like, this whole sci-fi thing, and she said, you mean, like, The $16 Man? And I said, what is that? And she said, Lindsay, it's your sister's favorite show. You should see it. And so I watched it and then I looked at the start date on the show and it was my sister's birthday and so I said oh my gosh I gotta do this so I agreed to do the show and uh, you know she came to the set and it was it was, so for her birthday I, I did the Bionic Woman Wow. Well. and I was like crazy after that
0: well what what was this amazing response that it got which led to the creation of the Bionic Woman was there a huge boost in ratings when you appeared?
1: oh yeah but also what had happened was that at the end of the second it was a two-parter episode and at the end of the second episode after they created the bionic woman they killed her they killed her off i mean that's that right. was kind of a formula in those days if you remember but that was how you gave a ratings booster to a show We yeah. give the, the star a love interest and then get rid of them somehow hmm. In in case they killed her off but when you think about it culturally speaking The six million dollar man had become like the the present day Superman, which is that iconic or, you know, that represents, again, something that when people see it and fantasize about it, it lifts you up. So the six million dollar man was kind of a quintessential father figure, Hmm. if you will, of the kids of America. And then they created the quintessential mother figure and then they killed her off because they didn't know how to get rid of her. You know, <laughs> you know, she rejected her bionics and she died. And the public went berserk. So I think it was, it was that as well as, you know, perhaps me. But certainly one cannot attribute it all to me. I think it was also really important to see that that was a very meaningful thing to kids that watch that show. That there's the balance of the, the male and the female, <coughs> the mother and the father, when it comes to, you know, the, the concept of power. Because it's the same thing, you know, spiritually. We get sucked over into thinking power is all about force. And if you look at the feminine expression of power, it doesn't have anything to do
0: with force. Now, Jamie was supposed to be the childhood sweetheart of Steve Austin. Uh, may we know if there was ever a romance between you and Lee Majors in real life, and are you still friends?
1: <laughs> no, there wasn't. And yes, we're friends.
0: Oh. How, how much do you see of each other, then?
1: Well, we're friends in that we're not not friends. Right. But we don't we see each other once in a while at, at events or touch those types of things
0: and Jamie was also supposed to be a tennis pro. How good was your own tennis game?
1: Oh it was unbelievably bad <laughs> <laughs> it was it was actually rather humorous <laughs> actually I, I didn't play tennis at all before that I, right. I when I when the role came up and they wanted me to play it and I agreed to do it I ran that like, can you play tennis? And like a good actor, you say, of course. <laughs> and you run to the nearest tennis pro and say, quick, make me look like I know what I'm doing. And I did. Now, Richard Anderson is, a, is quite the tennis oh, okay. player. He's, he's an exceptional tennis mm. player, always has been, and was at that time and used to do the circuits around the world and everything. And he came to the set, and seeing me do a few practice things... He said, gosh, I'd love for you to come to one of these tournaments. I said, oh, no, you really don't. And he said, why? I said, I don't play tennis. He said, you look great. I said, I look great. Have you noticed where the balls are going? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So they they had to do the shots to where the balls would get out of frame, and then they'd turn around and go, you know, the other direction and toss the ball in where it was supposed to go.
0: How many of Jamie's stunts did you perform yourself, and how hard was it making you appear bionic?
1: Well, I don't know how hard it was, because that's kind of a question for the crew. You know, the producers, I can't answer it really the way you asked it in particular, but um, or the way I'm hearing the words. But I didn't do the two-story falls. I did a couple one-story jumps, but that's as high as I would go. And I didn't do many of those. Even the ones ones that I did, the one in particular, I can think of, we did because we were trying to do something in one shot. You know, there's the takeoff, which was done in one shot, whether Mm. it's from the ground or... If I'm up jumping down,
0: there's yeah. a takeoff.
1: So we yeah. film me just jumping in or jumping through the camera, either up or down. Then there's the next shot, which is the fall itself, which normally my girl <coughs> would do, into some kind of an airbag. And then if it was supposed to be an up jump, of course, they'd reverse the film. But um,
0: Did you ever get hurt?
1: But going down, I got hurt not on the jumps, not on the jumps but we did one shot where she it was a two-story thing but the first story had a landing so i was hiding behind the bush and she jumped out the second story window landed behind the bush and i got up and ran around and jumped down into the first story onto the first story and did that hmm. so there was actually a without a cut that we did we utilized both of us and that was kind of that was hot stuff in those days hmm. <laughs> that was a big accomplishment um that jump in one in one take without uh, without cuts in it. Yeah, we got we got hurt. What
0: Nothing. truth is there in the rumor that you refuse to wear makeup as Jamie? Uh,
1: I don't think there is any truth in that. No, I I didn't wear much because I, I I never do wear much unless there's a reason to wear a lot. By yeah, some part. But but I just don't wear much. But I I, I, I wear makeup, you know, or huh. mascara and a little bit of base and. We were. I had to, you know, we were shooting outside, and the sun is very strong here in California, especially in the summer, and you can't shoot outside. You just look like a ghost if you don't have something to darken your skin.
0: Just how successful was the Bionic Woman internationally, and to what extent did you visit other nations like ours where it was popular?
1: Oh, gosh, it was all over the place. It was all over the place. I mean, shockingly so to me, even. Even in countries where I, at that time, in the 70s, did not expect it to be allowed even because it was a female in a man's world and succeeding and being more powerful than men. And so I never dreamed that I would see it or have fans in certain countries. Um, When I went to South America, for example, I, I was asked to start a tradition their soccer is very serious
0: yeah, in yeah. South America,
1: right? When they had the World Cup in South America, there was like you know hundreds of thousands of people in this thing, and they had decided that they were going to start a new tradition, like we had in baseball, where some celebrity or something throws out the first ball. Oh, yes. And I was doing a PR tour of South America at the time, and they actually asked me to be the person to start the tradition to kick out the first soccer ball to start this new tradition yeah. and that to me was a profound expression of the potency this show had yeah. all over the world to you know have a woman kick out the soccer ball and then i went to england and was doing a mini over there and and these women from saudi arabia were there uh, in the park. They had their kids, I had my kids, and they were all saying how they used to watch my show, and it was like, really, in Saudi mm. Arabia? And, you know, I'd get letters from Japan, and a lot from Japan, certainly all over Europe and mm. all over. It was, just, it, was, it was just amazing.
0: You won an Emmy Award and Golden Globe nominations. How, uh, how much kudos did that give you as an actress?
1: Well, I, I don't know how to say the difference. It was so huge, and that kind of came right... In the midst of it, I must say that when I won the Emmy, I was deeply honored because, you know, we had, back in the 70s, there was a lot of discontent within the Academy about how the voting was going, and that there was voting problems, and that there were people getting in and voting that shouldn't even be voting, and so there was a big upheaval, and in fact, there was a boycott of the Emmys that year, and... A nucleus of people, uh, of actors and, was it producers as well? I think can't remember who was all on that committee. Decided that they were going to put on the Emmys that year, and that only actors were going to vote for actors, and only, you know, because they just felt it was getting so diluted, the system was corroding (laughs) from within, Hmm. and so there was this big rebellion, and they, they did a very, they did the Emmys that year anyway. So, that's the year that I won the Emmy, and so there was no question that it was not on popularity that year when the peers were voting for peers. That's a tough audience, a very tough audience, and <laughs> and I was not part of that rebellious, you know, community that put on that thing either.
0: Why did the Bionic Woman not last much longer then, and, and how disappointed were you when it ended?
1: Uh, that's a deep question, and it's had to do with inner studio politics. I would love to tell you the story, but I just don't. No, that don't worry. But I, were you it,
0: were you very very upset when it ended? Yeah,
1: it was it was sad. It wouldn't have been sad had it not been about politics. Had it been about the fact that the audience wasn't digging it anymore, you know, that would have been okay. I that would have been fine. I mean, I was exhausted. Mm. I was happy not to be doing a series again <laughs> in that sense, but it was very heartbreaking that it got swept out with a new regime. It got swept out because of a regime from ABC, and then we went to NBC, as you probably know. Yeah. Uh, They picked us up because they knew it wasn't failing, and then they brought in a new regime to NBC, which, you know, when you don't, it it seems to happen in corporations and everything, right? Somebody else takes over, and and they want to have everything reflect their work, and so they just sweep everything out, so that's what was happening with her.
0: And imagine you gained a huge male following as the bionic woman how much fan mail did you receive and uh, what percentage was from men
1: gosh I don't know what the percentage was that's an interesting question I've never been asked that before I was getting you know 4,000 letters a week for a while I mean it was just flooding in from all over the the world as it went out
0: were you aware that there were young boys like me in England putting your poster on the wall beside my bed
1: (laughs) yes because I (laughs) <laughs> I had a fan club that was sending them out. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, I, an interesting question. I'll have to. At one point, my mom's friend came to work for me to help me because I had, didn't never have a fan yeah. club or anything like that to deal with pictures and posters. And so, you know, she was <coughs> helping me structure all that at one point. I'm going to have to ask her if she remembers that oh, for my own edification. <laughs>
0: so Fine I'll club. tell you
1: something interesting, though, about that that's interesting to me, it may not be you, but <laughs> for many years, from the time that those kids became of working age, the women, now kids would always come up to me, of course, but then these kids became adults, and I was getting letters occasionally through friends, or even in the mail, or occasionally I'd meet someone out in public somewhere, and it would be, they would be in their 30s, and they would come up and say, and one in particular, for example, was a woman who worked at NASA, and she said, my mother, my parents' wanted me to go to beauty school because that's what women did. And because of you and the role that you played, I want you to know I'm a whatever-whatever scientist at in NASA today, oh. and I want to thank you. So I started getting a whole new wave of response from the adults that watched the show. Then, once they were that the early 30s, and I thought, how interesting and so meaningful. And as as adults, they were actually feeding back to me things that, that they remembered from the show that wasn't the bionics that was all the human stuff that I that I was constantly fighting and <laughs> making a fuss about getting into the stories from week to week to week. It wasn't until the kids grew up did I know whether that stuff actually got through or not. And so when they were now adults they started expressing things and I had the most deep experience of just like crying a couple of times because mm. it was like all the all the you know, the fighting and the difficulties we yeah. went through trying to get some substance through this mechanism wasn't fed back to me until the audience became 30 and 40 years old. Now, those were the women that were telling me. And it wasn't until that age group became 40 that the men started talking to me. And I thought it was really interesting, I mean, except if it was, you know, someone who was actually interviewing me and we're talking a lot or whatever. Mm. But I mean people, a man coming up to me at an event or a man coming up to me in a store or whatever, and saying how much the show actually meant to them, yeah. but on this deeper level. And he said, I couldn't have told you that 20 years ago because it wasn't cool. I should have, I would have been having to say that I watched, you know, The Six Million Dollar Man, yeah. and oh yeah, I watched Jamie Summers too, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? But yeah. now, at 40, you can pretty much say what the heck you want. You're not worried about what people, yeah. you know, what they think about you Whether you watch The Bionic Woman. And how the balance that you could be kind and still be powerful, that you could be, I can't remember some of the words that they were saying to me, and I would just sit there with my mouth hanging open saying, thank you, God. You know, yeah. this is, you know, it took, it took 20-some years for me to know that all the effort that I put in had actually meant something. Not that that stops me from yeah. doing it, because you don't, you know, you just do what you can see to do and like yeah. if something's meaningful, and the people either get it or they don't.
0: You did lots of made-for-TV movies. Did you wish you'd done more big feature films?
1: Actually, at that time, I was choosing not to do them. I was offered several, but uh, in the 80s, it was a pretty violent culture in the movie business. They were just starting to learn to do all this special effects and things after our show. You know, it became quite the technological rage, and for whatever reason, you know, it was just... It became so violent. I mean, everything was Rambo and... Roles for women mm. in the feature business throughout the 80s, you could probably count the decent roles on one hand.
0: Did you turn anything down that became a huge success and you just thought, oops?
1: God, I don't remember the names of them now. There were several. And then I think they just kind of stopped asking. <laughs> one
0: of the TV movies you did was the taking of Flight 847. Right. Yet almost 10 years before that, you famously didn't take a flight that actually crashed. Um What can you tell us about that? What was it that that um, had come into your head? What was it like a message you received or
1: had- no it wasn't it wasn't that clear. It was definitely a message, but it wasn't clear that it had anything to do with the plane crashing. It was for some reason we shouldn't be taking this plane and so I said something to my mom. we were just talking, we were standing in line literally with our boarding passes in our hand waiting to get on the plane
0: in the departure uh, lounge
1: yeah yeah no we were in yeah in line i mean people were getting on the plane and we literally got out of line and joked <clears> about <throat> maybe we shouldn't go, why is this plane gonna crash ah, ha, ha! but it wasn't like i think this plane's gonna crash we better get off it wasn't like that it was it was just this thing we shouldn't be going and then when well, we we're saying well but what why and because I have I have always trusted intuition. I mean, learned to trust it more and more. But at that time, I was, it was just a strong enough urge. And then, because we, my sister was in Portland, Oregon at the time, and she was coming to Los Angeles to join us, we said, maybe Randy needs some help. Maybe we should go to Portland and pick her up and fly home with her. That must be what this is about. So that's how our minds interpreted this pull, which was... Not a totally clear message, but it was clear enough to step out of line.
0: Did the staff try and push you onto the flight, make you take it once you were in that area? No. Right. They just no, let just, you go. We
1: just said, what What can we do? We decided to fly to Portland before we mm. went to L.A., and they said, well, you're going to have to go back to the ticket counter. So we went down to the ticket counter, changed our tickets, and, and, uh, and went on to Portland. And meanwhile, not having any idea, because we were in the air, we caught a fairly soon flight, actually, and we were... Completely distracted and knew nothing about the plane crashing. So we flew all the way to Portland. And when we got off and got to my sister, she freaked out. <laughs> and everybody freaked out because they thought we were on that plane. Yeah. My but... assistant had thought I was. And she said, You better call LA. And it's like, so We called LA. And, you know, everybody was going nuts. And it's like, No, oh, we're okay. Oh, my God, what happened? And then they told us.
0: But, and how did you feel when they told Pretty you?
1: Pretty shocked. Pretty shocked. Very grateful.
0: Have you ever got over that shock of knowing how near you were to disaster? Mm,
1: And it wasn't... I felt more gratitude than shock, I must say. I felt very protected. I didn't come out of it traumatized. I suppose one could see it that way, but to me, I I felt uh, very grateful, and I also felt a great uh, experienced a, a real deepening in my faith in the again, the, the higher How? part of us as human beings.
0: Yeah. How much did that near miss make you reevaluate your life?
1: Well, I think it's the same answer. It's it was uh, it was really more of a deepening of my spiritual commitment and my connection to listening to the inner voice rather mm. than the outer circumstances of life all logical outer circumstances said get on the plane fly home she's fine she's a grown woman now she can fly to la by herself that was the outer circumstance the inner voice you know was saying something different Mm -hmm. that's where i think the deep truth and and vision lies
0: but the movie you made shattered dreams was about spousal abuse i think right is that something you've experienced yourself maybe no
1: not in my marriages. that's one thing that i that uh, having grown up with it it wasn't going to happen Okay. now
0: how hard do you think it is for men to partner a woman who's a world-renowned actress
1: yeah I, I'm, uh, that's i'm sure quite a challenge quite a challenge it's it's a challenge on again all levels because first of all you've got the male female challenge and then just compounding it with the male having to really deal deeply with their own ego about the woman being mm. prominent especially if they're not in their own right and that takes the man back to having to deal with his own personal issues that come from way back. You know, it's it's all the same story. We're all living the same story, and everybody thinks they're so alone in their story. You're rich or famous or poor or yeah. de- dejected or, you know, whatever. You know, it's the same story. People say, oh, domestic violence offenders, you work with domestic violence. My like, God, what do you do then? It's the same thing I would do with you, you know, only they just have they've lost the membrane that you still have that keeps you from going over that line.
0: How luxurious a lifestyle has your acting success given you? I mean, do you have many homes around the world? Are you a fleet of cars?
1: No, I'm not a very extravagant person. (laughs) I usually have a home somewhere out in the countryside, and and then I keep a base in Los Angeles. Mm. That's how I've lived my life.
0: How much evidence of your acting career, particularly the bionic woman, is there in your homes?
1: (laughs) Very little, except for all the eclectic stuff that I've gathered from all over the world. There's pieces of, you know, indigenous art or whatever. That kind of stuff is uh, evident, but the acting stuff isn't there. And the Emmys in my office and the various awards from uh, from Japan and what have you.
0: And you're still Um, uh, physically very recognizable from your bionic woman days how much of a clue to that is the fact that you've written books on vegetarianism and uh, acupressure facelifts
1: yeah i mean definitely that's in my opinion has been very helpful um as well as meditation i do a lot of meditation and, and i think that that has a profound effect on the body People tend to think of it only as part of the mind, but because we're always bifurcating in our minds, the body and the mind and the spirit, all those issues, we think of them and think of them in such a Western way that we separate everything. But it's not. And I I think my body, because I've been vegetarian most of my adult life, but there have been times when I've gone back to eating fish and, you know, things like that uh, for periods of time, but I know that my body is more impacted when I don't do my spiritual practice, when I don't do my meditations and mm. what have you, then, you know, I can't say more or less, but it really is more instantly noticeable when I slack off for any period of time on the meditation, more so than when I change my diet for, you know, for a period of time. So I believe that that has a lot to do also with, with my current... But you can't separate them anyway. It's like your yeah. diet, your... all of it, you know? If I have any downfalls that I don't exercise enough... But I do know that the, the types of, some, some of the body systems that get exhilarated during exercise can also get exhilarated during certain types of meditation.
0: How hard is it to grow older in an industry seemingly obsessed with youth and beauty?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I, I, I think that um, as, well, you know, like I say, I pulled back quite, m- myself, I pulled back about eight, nine years ago. And so I haven't been in the thick of it through this last 10 years, which is, a very defining 10 years, you know, from 40 to, well, 50, of this last 10 years has really been from 45 to, you know, 50, when, how old was I 10 years, <laughs> 8 <laughs> years ago, 9 years ago, 50, um, 48, 40, 48, there you go. Yeah. And from from the 40s through to the end of the 50s is a very defining difference, I think, in the, in the characters that one can play. And so I just haven't been there for that transition don't know how to answer your question
0: really I guess Uh, you have these different sort of careers don't you as a sort of humanitarian as an advocate as you've explained and and as an actress obviously uh, as an author how do you divide them time wise do you sort of say well I don't
1: I haven't been doing much acting so it's been it's been pretty much focused on my advocacy work if that's what we're calling it yeah so it's been pretty focused on that these last especially five years retirement I don't don't see myself retiring at this point at all I'm actually getting more active than ever I'm coming out in the public and doing these public programs now Um, and not just doing it in I've kind of put a number of things together that I've learned and I'm doing public seminars and retreats and putting on a lot of retreats and seminars based with the work that I've been doing with myself and with others
0: What ambitions do you have at this stage in your life?
1: I think it's it's probably the same as it always has been. It's just what form it's going to take. It's, it's pretty much to to be able to use my energy and my visibility and whatever gifts I have to offer to help bring more peace to people mm. in the world. I mean, that's what my work was about, why I did these social issue movies, and that's why I'm doing the work I'm doing now. It's a more direct contact with people the way I'm doing it now than having being one step removed by way of a you know a camera and I may integrate the two soon Uh, unfortunately we're talking right at a very strong transition time for me I'm just formulating actually what I'm going to be doing now I feel like I'm out of my introverted stage and I'm coming out to the public again I know at this point I'm doing retreats and seminars but at the same time I know it's, somehow I can feel it it's coming it's bubbling up in the mm. creative bucket here that I, I'm going to be doing something where it's going to be coming out more to the masses as did my film work and it mm. may be in the form of a film I do want to do a film about some of the work that I've been doing And I'm in the process of just starting to put together the treatment for that. Some of the work that I've been doing around the issues of domestic violence and and with the jail program, I'm Mm. going to do a film about that for sure.
0: How do you feel about the fact that no matter what else you achieve, you'll probably always be best remembered as uh, the bionic woman?
1: Oh, I don't care. It's fine with me. You know, I, I experience that when people do that. I experience that as people... Summoning up something that gave them great joy, and it's something they saw over and over and over and over again. I mean, how could that not be a deep groove in somebody's mind? <laughs> and, and and assuming they liked it, it's a deep groove in their heart as well. So repetition certainly drives things home. Hmm. I can't expect that a movie they saw once on network television. I mean, it may have. I mean, people do write me letters saying that. But as far as oh, what's her you know, what's her name? You know what I'm saying? They see you and it's like... <gasps> yeah. And, and they do that. thing that's gr- div- driven in the deepest is what they're going to respond to. It's not that they didn't like the other movies or that, that they didn't respond to them. Certainly they did. I had huge, huge successes. But what's going to come to your mind the quickest, you know, if you can't remember somebody's name, it's the character that was driven into your brain every week hmm. as a kid.
0: And uh, how would you like people to remember you after you've left this planet?
1: I guess as someone who saw the audience as important as i see myself and that they felt that expression through the work that i chose to do because that's how i feel that i cared about them in every choice that i made and i made a lot of choices not to do things because i felt that they were not healthy for people to be going through and i know that a lot of people don't have the line where i have my line that's for sure (laughs) but i only wanted to put things out that i thought were either truly harmless or or meaningful to share with others.